0: Last weekend, Katie and I attended the 70th anniversary dinner for Art and Sally Wells. Seventy years ago, they looked at each other in the eye and they said, I do. Now, when they attend a wedding and they see two 20-somethings look at each other and say, I do, my guess is they look at each other and they say they don't have a clue. But when Art and Sally Wells look at each other 70 years later and say, I do? It means something so much deeper, so much richer. It doesn't even seem like the same thing that they were saying when they were 20. They love each other and that love has deepened and grown with experiences so much that what they had back then you could put in a teacup compared to what they mean by that now. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. We're going through the fruit of the Spirit. I try to make the point that there's these are not fruits, plural. This is one fruit. What they're trying to say is, when the Spirit is involved in the world, this is what you start to see. When the spirit is involved in a Christian, this is what you start to see. If you you wondered what it was like to compare the kingdom of God with the kingdom of darkness, this is what the kingdom of God experience is like. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's what people who belong to the kingdom of God strive to be like. It's who the spirit is. And now we get to this one that in most of your Bibles is translated faithfulness. Now, I am not going to suggest that all these people with all these degrees doing all this translation somehow missed it, so I won't do that. I just want to say that the Greek word that's here is the exact same Greek word that is translated as faith everywhere else in the New Testament. Same word, not even a different uh, form of the word. It's pistis. When Jesus is walking down the road and a woman sees him and says, if I just touch the edge of his cloak, then I'll be healed. And she goes out and she grabs the edge of his coat. It's an amazing passage. It says Jesus felt power go out of him. I wonder what that must have been like. And he looks around and he looks at the woman and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's this word. Strange. Strange. Because it's also the word used in Hebrews 11, verse 6, when it says without this word, it's impossible to please him. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Somehow, in this passage, we're told that a fruit the Spirit gives, what the Spirit does, who the Spirit is, what the Spirit produces, is faith. Maybe you've heard the name of Teresa of Calcutta. She was known all over the world as Mother Teresa, and she was using the example all the time. Whenever, you know, we're trying to do some good and we get tired and we're tired of doing good, somebody would say, well, just say that to Mother Teresa, right? So you can always do more good. She spent 50 years of her life tending to the poor, far from her homeland, And everybody thought of her as kind of a model of, well, this is what it looks like if you're going to spend your life doing good for people. It's interesting that when she died, there was a, uh, there was a priest that she was writing letters to. And she, he promised her that he would not publish those letters. And then he published those letters. And in those letters over 35 years, she would say things to him like, I feel dry. I feel dark. I feel torture in my soul. In one letter, she said, Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but it doesn't speak. Well, there was one of these, maybe you'd heard about the new atheists. Uh, One of them was going around, wrote a book about it, and said, well, there you go. That's a hypocrite for you. That's what Christians are all like. When I look at the story of Teresa, I don't see a hypocrite. Uh, I see a fellow traveler who's saying you know, the Christian life where you're trying to say I want to do good for as many people as I possibly can is not always a camp spiritual high. I imagine you've had those moments in your life when it just seemed like everything was going great. You know, like that fourth day of camp. And then you come home and it's real life and there's your brother and there's your sister and uh they're back to, you know, treating you badly and stealing your toys and, and you, you know, you You forget what it was like to be at camp. Well, there was a a writer in the fourth century named John of the Cross, and he writes about this, and he calls it the dark night of the soul. That's a phrase, interesting phrase. For those periods in your life when you feel like you're not on the mountaintop, you're in the valley. And I think for some of us that lasts a couple hours, for some of us that may last a day or a week, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if I look around the room, I imagine some of you could say, I have been through the valley of the shadow of death, and it felt like a long, long time. That's actually part of the walk of faith. It's why Psalm 23 says, we're supposed to praise God that he takes care of us in green valleys and by, you know, great pastures and all that, that sometimes I may end up in the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he's leading me then too. This idea that I struggle with faith, it's not the kind of thing you expect to hear. Now, what if your elders got up here and said, I just want you to know, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling with my faith. Your first thought might be, well, maybe you shouldn't be in elder." But I hope that's not your second thought. Hope your second thought would be, "Yeah, I struggle with it too." Faith, faith is a big word, and I read Hebrews eleven, the Hall of Faith. By faith they conquered kingdoms. By faith they tore down the walls. By faith they did this and that. And I think to myself, if that's what faith is, yeah, I struggle with that. When Paul wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica, he said, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. But Timothy has brought back pleasant news about your faith. So in all distresses and persecutions, we were encouraged to hear about your faith. Faith is so very important. We usually define faith in terms of what we give to God. I talked about this in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's right there on the pages of scripture. To the woman who touches the hem of his garment, he says, your faith has saved you. To God, we bring faith. And in return, he grants us pardon, gives us life. And then we have this strange passage in Galatians. Written to Christians, Four Christians who've already brought faith to the table, who are already in Christ, and he tells them one thing the spirit will give you is faith. I don't know what to do with that by itself. But I do think if we look at it in the larger context, there might be some things here to help us all. Flip your Bible over to Romans chapter 12 and verse three. We're going to look for some other places where we have this kind of language. Romans 12 and verse 3. Paul is writing to Christians, another example where he's talking about the Spirit and he's talking to Christians. And he says, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but instead think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed among you. Isn't that interesting? There's another passage where to Christians in a spirit passage, he says, God gives faith and he gives it in different measures and he gives it in different ways and he's distributed it among you. Does it seem odd to think of faith as something God gives? You know, it's, it's easy sometimes to think of somebody who uses this verse wrong. And then because they use it wrong, it means it's their passage. Let's go find our passage that says it right. But all the Bible, all the Bible is truth. So what I want to do is reclaim passages and say, let's, let's see this in the larger light. There is a teaching out there that says, well, God decides before the beginning of the world who's going to be saved, and who's going to be lost. And uh, it doesn't matter what you do or what you think or what everything else. It's very nice that you want God, but God doesn't want you. And so he's decided he's going to be saved, he's going to be lost, and that's just how it is. I don't see that in my Bible. What I see in my Bible is whoever will come and take of the waters of life freely. The spirit of the bride say, come. What I see in my Bible is God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I, I think that's right. But I want all of the Bible. And I want to do something with these passages that say that God gives faith to Christians. So what we've got is a different sense of the word faith. I told you it's a big word. It's got nuance and different meanings. There's the faith that we bring to God initially to say, I want what you've got. And then there's something different that comes to us over the long haul from God as we seek to live a life pleasing to him, as we live in his son, in his spirit, in his light. Another example of this is the word grace. Look in Ephesians 4 and verse 7. We have the word grace used in a different sense. Paul's talking about how each of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, wait a second. Are we all given the same grace, which is the grace of, hey, come to Jesus? Well, there's a deeper sense. There's a deeper sense in which God gives grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Even though Christ's gift is for all, he also gifts his people in different ways, and he calls those graces. He's graced Steve, for example, with a much more extroverted personality than me. I, I love his bear hugs. And I love how excited he is to see and meet new people. I work myself up to see and meet new people, and then I rush to my office to write my sermons. <laughs> he loves people, and God uses us in different ways. There may be initial graces, and then more mature graces. There may be something small at first, but then much larger later. There may be something simple on the front end but more complex after years of living in the spirit. And I think that helps us understand Romans 12 and Galatians five. It says that God gives faith or faithfulness and he gives it in different measures, but it's not the only place where we see that. In first Corinthians 12, another passage, Paul says there are many gifts, but the same spirit. And to each is given a different portion And one of the gifts listed there is faith. So we've got Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, 7. And they all seem to be saying that God gives believers through his spirit something that could be called grace or faith. There shouldn't be any question whether God does that. The question is, what does it mean? Last weekend, Katie and I attended the 70th anniversary dinner for Art and Sally Wells. Seventy years ago, they looked at each other in the eye and they said, I do. Now, when they attend a wedding and they see two 20 somethings, look at each other and say, I do. My guess is they look at each other and they say they don't have a clue. Oh, the couple means it. Of course they mean it. But when Art and Sally Wells look at each other 70 years later and say, I do, it means something so much deeper, so much richer, doesn't even seem like the same thing that they were saying when they were 20. They love each other, and that love has deepened and grown with experiences so much that what they had back then you could put in a teacup compared to what they mean by that now. It's so deeply rooted in a relationship as strong as a mighty oak. I think that's what's going on here. And it gives me encouragement. When I read Hebrews 11 and I read about the faith of these great heroes, and you just think to yourself, well, I know we're supposed to have faith and bring faith to God. Boy, that doesn't describe me most of the time. And God says, well, I'm still working on you and I'm not finished yet. I think I understand why the apostles, when Jesus looked at them and said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be uprooted and move and get thrown into the sea and it would be done. And they look at Jesus and you remember what they say? Lord, increase our faith. Interesting. Give us more faith. Now, what do they mean by that? You know, I'm convinced when you look at the commentaries, some interesting ideas, I'm convinced that commentator by definition is someone with too much time on their hands. Interesting ideas. You know, the apostles never fully get it till much later. So there's all this speculation. What do they mean when they said that? Maybe they wanted to do great magic tricks. Maybe they wanted power and prestige. I wouldn't rule out either of those motives. I think the apostles are a mixed bag like we all are. But I think sincere reflection on what I don't have and so desperately want all the time. And what Jesus wants to provide, it could lead me to say with the apostles, Lord, increase my faith because I lack. I want to be able not just to feel and to know, but to do. And to be all these things I see of the heroes of faith. And more than that, what I see in your son, Jesus. As his boy lay dying, the man knows the healer in the gospel of Mark. And he bears his soul to the master. He says, if you can, I know that my boy will be healed. And Jesus has an interesting reply. He looks at this man who's sincere. And he's saying, if you can. My boy can be healed. And Jesus says, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And listen to the cry of the heart. Maybe it's the sound coming from deep within your own soul. Lord, I believe. Help me with that next part. Help my unbelief. I have faith, but I'm running on empty. And I need to believe. Listen to this song. Number 540. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe, that will not murmur or complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without, that when in danger knows no fear, in darkness feels no doubt. And here's the prayer. Lord, give us such a faith as this, and then whatever may come, will taste in here the hallowed bliss of an eternal home. Let this point sink down deep into your ears, and don't forget it. By the grace of a merciful God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit, your faith can be renewed. God will take your faith that is waning and give you back a faith that sustains. It's right for Christians to pray for faith. Deeper, richer, fuller, stronger faith. A faith that can move mountains. A faith that will survive shootings and heart attacks and the loss of a child and the end of the world. Oh, God, give us, give your people faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. We come to you as believers. We came to you as believers that initial day when we said we wanted you to be our Lord and Savior. We asked you to take our sins away. We gave you our simple, meager faith. And God, as we've lived the Christian life, we've grown. And that walk feels like ups and downs and hills and valleys. And you've been with us through it all. But God, we ask for a faith that will not shrink. We ask for you to strengthen, strengthen our hands, strengthen our feeble knees. God, help us to grow in love for you. Help us to grow in our faith so much as you increase it. That our faith doesn't waver. That when it does waver, you'll remind us that you are with us through thick and thin. For a faith that doesn't shrink, but when it does shrink, that you'll remind us. You've got us. You've got our back and you've got our hand. God, we want to grow in our love for you so that 60, 70, 80 years after we say yes to you, our thoughts about you, our feelings toward you, and our life lived with you will be stronger, richer, deeper than we can even put words to as our faith grows and grows by the power of your Son. Father, we want the whole world to know that you sent your Son and that we belong to him by the way we love by the way we live, and by the faith we profess. In Jesus' name, amen. (music) Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.